0: If you got your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke fifteen today. We are working our way to the middle anyway of a series about who it is that's really looking at us in the mirror. We're Luke fifteen, gonna be in verse starting verse eight today, so you ready to look in the mirror with me one more time? You're here this morning, I hope so. Today we get to look at three verses. Just three is all we're gonna cover. Three verses. And those three verses paint a picture of a most wonderful woman who never actually lived. The only way that we get to know her is through the mind and the words of Jesus. We meet her in this parable, but that's it. Jesus does what He does in parables, and He uses something very close to home for us to shine the light on what our true priorities really are. Remember, parable is a simple story that's intended to convey a much deeper spiritual truth than what is evident on the surface. So, uh, buckle up and let's dive in, huh? Luke chapter 15, verse 8. Or what woman, this is Jesus speaking now, or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with Me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus doesn't tell us anything else about her. Not a single word. We don't know if she's rich or poor, whether she's married, whether she has children whether she lives by herself, all that we know is that she has lost at least 10% of what she has. Talks about 10 coins, she's lost one of them. 10% a tithe. No coincidence. And since this is a parable, I want to just start out and be really clear about something right away. That coin represents any one of us who is lost in the family of God. Last week we talked about the one sheep that strayed away from the other 99 and the shepherd went out and looked until he found it. What happens is that we lose sight of God and the church family when we stray away. And this woman's fear, and it should be our fear as well, is that when a believer strays, when, when we stray, we may wander so far away that we lose sight of of the family of faith altogether that we, we take off and as we begin to walk on what might be a short break, carries us so far away that we forget about our church family altogether. Now, understand, you're not lost from God. God always knows right where you are. But by our own actions, we can take ourselves out of the family of God to a point where we're not sure where God is anymore. Just like with the sheep last week, there's any number of reasons the coin could be lost. Right? Maybe the lady just uh, misplaced it. Maybe somebody else in the family did something with it. Might be that she or somebody else was careless and it didn't, they didn't treat the coin with the value it deserved. And whatever the point is, the, the part that Jesus tells us is that this one coin has gone missing. We've got to realize that we as God's family gathering in this place have the responsibility to love and to care for each other as God's children. So look around you for a moment. Really, do that. Look around you for a moment. Really, do that. This is your church family. This is your church family. This is the group of people who surround you, not just on Sunday morning. These people that sit in this place with you today need you to help them on their walk to lovingly prevent them from getting lost and you need them. We need each other. We are the church together. Last week I made the statement that it isn't my job to convict you of your sin. That's true. The Holy Spirit is the one who does the work of convicting a human heart. However, what I didn't say is that for a mature believer, for someone for whom Jesus is both Lord and Savior, We've got the responsibility to walk along other believers and guide them along the path of faith. We don't judge people, but we judge sin. God alone judges us, but we do have a responsibility to lovingly and respectfully care for each other in Christian love. We do that by loving and not condemning each other. We love, we challenge, we lift each other up, and we remind each other of who we are. Because all too often the reason that a person strays away is they forget who it is that they are as a child of God. Think for a moment about this coin then as a person. Don't think of it just as a coin. Think about it as a person. It's been separated and it's lost. It's of no value. This coin isn't. Hiding in the dirt or the cracks of a floor and it's helpless to be any good on its own. It can't pick itself up and find its way to the market and buy food. It's not functioning for what it was created to be when it's lost, but the coin doesn't have any clue that it's lost. And all too often, the person who strays away from faith has no idea that they're lost. They don't even realize. They just think they've made some different choices. Now remember last week when we talked about lost, a word that people get really bent out of shape and offended by. What the Greek really talks about is lost is spiritually destitute. Spiritually lost. No footing, no foundation, no grounding. And as Christians, we don't want anybody to be spiritually destitute. Why? Spiritually destitute. Why? Because we know that we have the light of Jesus. We know that we have the answer and He's it. While the word lost might be taken offensively by some people, that whole understanding of being destitute, not having purpose or direction or meaning, is something we can easily understand. We've all been there. We've all wondered who we are and do we really matter and would the world even care if I, if I didn't show up one day? It's just more so when it's someone who's been overtaken by the darkness of the world and has completely forgotten who they are. That's why we need other Christians around us. I hear people all the time that say, well, yeah, it sounds like you got a great church, but I kind of do Christianity by myself. And my question is, how's that going for you? How do you do that? How are you a Christian on your own? We need other Christians around us. We need to be Christians around other believers. So let, let's shift gear here, for, gears for a moment. We're talking about a lost coin, and that might be a little bit hard for us to completely relate to. All too often we think of a penny or a dime, and we think no big deal. It's not even worth bending over to pick it up, right? So let's think about something a little closer to home. You ever lost your cell phone? (laughs) Right? You ever lost your cell phone? You don't have to raise your hand. We've all done it. Misplaced it. Lost it completely. Dropped it over the side of a boat. How about your purse? Your wallet? Your keys? I'll be honest with you. I go into a full-fledged panic. And the people around me go, you just misplaced it. You do it all the time. It isn't lost. You'll find it. But I need it now. My wife is on that phone. Everything that I need is in my wallet. Am I right? Do you know what I'm talking about? There are things that if we lose, we can relate to this woman. It isn't even that the thing is worth the most money. What it is is that it's got the value to us, right? The value goes beyond its financial or monetary worth. It's what is the value to us that that thing represents. What does it mean to us. And I wonder if in the American church, because you know, the things that we think are ours our phones, our keys, our purses, our wallets, our money I wonder if we realize that all of those things that we would stop our day to go and find I wonder if we've ever realized that, you know, eventually if we don't lose them, we replace them, don't we? And that thing that is so valuable to us, we trade in for a better model. We trade in for something that's shinier, has more features. All of them end up getting replaced. And sometimes I wonder if those things that we end up replacing aren't really more important to us than people if we were going to be honest. What do we really value? What kind of stand are we willing to take on behalf of people who don't know God? What kind of statement are we willing to make? What kind of stand will we take? What kind of effort will we go to to reach someone who has strayed from the family of God? Or do we just let them go and it's their decision? They can go figure it out themselves. Where is our real value? Verse 9, it says, "...when she'd found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I've lost. If you found a lost cell phone..." You know, you're going to tell people the story about it, right? But the fact is, while it's gone, you want to call everybody to come and help you find it, and that makes it worse because you can't. That's how important these things are. Well, that's how important this phone is, or this coin is, rather. See, the reason for this woman's joy is the value to her goes well beyond its financial or monetary value. See, this woman without a name is really helping us to understand. Are worth and our value to God. The parable isn't about a coin at all. The parable is about you and I. The, the parable is about everybody else out there. And our value to God goes far beyond what value other people around, around us might place on us. They might tell you that you're not worth that much, you're forgettable. Yeah, you can be replaced. You know, you took off for a month and a half. We never even really missed you. That's not true of God, and the parable is telling us that God will go to any extreme to bring you home. Verse ten: Just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Again, in this passage, the whole joy in heaven thing. There's a part of me when I read those lines in a parable. I, I, I go back to the Christmas story in Luke, where he says, "Suddenly, what there was with." uh, The angel, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. It's like the angels in heaven are just looking for a reason to celebrate something good on earth. They're up there just queued up and ready. Now, on a side note, you, you know, we talk about the heavenly host, and that's what the New Testament tells us. But actually, there's a much better understanding that the original language gives to us. Heavenly host doesn't make sense entirely because we don't use that language. It sounds like a bunch of angels, that's true, but you know what it really is? what the bible really talks about the heavenly host this huge gathering of angels is the angel army of god it's the angel army of god it's referred to throughout the battle or throughout the bible those angels are there to do battle for you and I and when one of us comes home the angel of army of god that stands ready to go to battle for you and your soul celebrates That's quite an image in my mind. When one sinner repents, an angel army breaks into celebration. This isn't a parable of a lazy woman who is careless. It's about people who stray and become lost without ever even knowing that they're lost. And when we're willing to love them and to value them and to work diligently to bring the light of Jesus to them, there's a celebration among the angel army of heaven when even one of them repents and comes home. That should make part of what we are here to do on earth incredibly clear to us. The value that we should put on people. Before we go any further though, I want to go back to verse 8. I want to take a look at it. There's two things this lady did that were incredibly crucial to what ended up happening. It says, her, what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? first thing she did was she lit a lamp. She brought light to the problem. That light in the parable represents Jesus. The light of the world. John eight twelve says, Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Everybody who heard Jesus tell in this parable would have known that that woman's home had two sources of light. There's a lamp which she lit. And then there may have been a window and there would have been a door. Even with the curtain open and the door open, there wouldn't have been a whole lot of light in that house. The world, just like the woman's house, is covered in darkness and the only hope that we have is the light of Jesus in our lives. That woman on her own was helpless to find that coin without the light. The other thing she did that we need to pay attention to is she swept the house. She cleaned her own house. She took care of the dirt that was there and that dirt represents the sin in our house. And as long as there remained dirt and dust, she knew not only was she going to ever be able to find that coin, but she might even lose more of them. She realized that getting her own house cleaned up in an order was the first thing she needed to do. If she was going to bring that lost coin back to her possession, she had some cleaning that needed to be done. We've got no right to point out and talk about the sins of others until our house is clean. And yet a lot of you are here this morning because you've been a part of churches that were more than happy, the people there were more than happy to point out your sin because it wasn't their sin. You've left churches because you were shamed because something you'd done that the majority of people hadn't done. Or your story happened to come out and theirs happened to stay quiet. And the fact of the matter is, as Christians, we've got no business pointing out the dirt in somebody else's house until we take care of the dirt in ours. So I wonder about us. I wonder about us as people. I wonder about who we are as Americans. I wonder what real priority we put on human lives, much less on sinners, all of whom God loves. So I got thinking this week, and I tried my best to avoid this part, and I just can't. So here we go. I wonder about it because in the time since Roe v. Wade made abortion legal in the U.S., do you know more than 60 million unborn American children have been killed before birth? That works out to a million a year roughly. little over 2,500 a day, which is 105 per hour every hour in the U.S. And I don't care what your political belief is. I don't care what your political affiliation is. Dead is dead, period. And Jesus values human life. And what we end up doing is we saying, well I don't believe in that. Well you know what, you've got the right to do that, but Jesus doesn't give you that right. How about another hot button? <coughs> Americans love our guns, don't we? Whatever happened to the common sense about passing simple common sense legislation and enforce the laws we've got to begin to prevent the epidemic of gun violence in this country? Because here's the deal I don't care where you stand on the issue, guns kill people, not people. Guns. Guns. Excuse me, guns don't kill people. It's people who kill people. <laughs> I heard a what, and I said, What did I just say? Oh, the terror of public speaking. Can I back that up just a minute? Can we, can we just redo the camera on that one and pretend? I've got to follow my notes more closely. Dad, you were right. I'm going to make a statement now. Are you all ready for this? <laughs> Guns don't kill people. People kill people. <sighs> That's like my worst fear. You just lived through it with me. Thank you. Got that off the list. So much for that point. But it escapes me why we can't be more honest with ourselves on the issue of mental health. Why don't we talk about people who are hurting? Uh, About gun legislation that prevents violent people and dangerous people from having guns. And, and, And you know, here's the one that I really don't get. I hope I say this right. What about the epidemic of desensitized young men who grew up without fathers, who spend their life and their days shooting people in video games? There is no value to human life. And yet, as a nation, we won't even have the difficult, honest conversations. We're convinced that what I said earlier, that people are not the problem. We're convinced if we get rid of the guns, we'll solve the problem. How about we address... The simple fact that people don't value people anymore. How about when are we going to make people the priority over the profits for multi-billion dollar drug companies that flood the streets with opiates that they are legally required to document pill by pill where they are and yet millions a year hit the streets and nobody seems to know where they came from. Why is it that money, the value on profits and personal choice no matter who it harms, Why is it that we seem to prioritize ourselves, not people? That's not what Jesus does. Jesus puts value on every single one of us. And you know what? He puts value on you to the point that He sent your Son to die for your sins when you are at your sinful worst. That's the value that He puts on your life. Jesus loves people and so should we. The only way we can adjust our priority from self is, number one, to the godly priority of self as disciple who values and loves people is to become a disciple of Jesus. And As disciples of Jesus, we intentionally choose to make this decision. We inche- intentionally choose put, to put ourselves in a Jesus training program. It's not uncommon in businesses and in trades and in professions. Part of the requirement of achieving professional status People are expected to go through an internship or an apprenticeship. And the whole idea of it is that you train under someone who is a master at their job. The apprentice is able to study and observe how the teacher does the work, how they handle difficult people and how they handle difficult situations, while not being required or expected to be responsible to know the best way to handle all of them on their own yet. That's the heart of discipleship. We study under a more mature believer to learn and experience mature faith as our faith grows and matures and increases with the time that we spend that person. We invite, we welcome, we seek the light of Jesus to shine shine in the darkness so that we can become more and more like Him. But we've got to choose to do that. Maybe you've heard me talk about this today for the first time. Maybe you've heard the last few weeks and you go, you know what, it's too much. I'm just not interested in that. It's more than I want to do. Fair enough. Maybe it's too much work for you. Maybe it's too much effort. Maybe you just don't see the value in it. Let me try one more example and see if I can get this one right. I think we'd all agree that one of the most beautiful, valuable things on earth in terms of stuff is diamonds, right? Incredibly expensive. Some of the most valuable things ever bought or sold are diamonds. But a diamond doesn't start that way, does it? diamond starts as a lump of coal deep within the darkness of the earth's crust. That lump of coal endures tremendous heat and tremendous pressure and is transformed from that lump of carbon coal to a diamond rock. And then someone finds it and brings it to the surface and is put under the light and the well-trained eye of an experienced stone cutter. And that rough diamond that started out as a lump of coal is transformed into a thing of beauty as the rough edges are cut off. And as the diamond cutter begins to shape and chip away everything that doesn't belong there, that takes away from its beauty, revealing a multifaceted, brilliantly cut stone that actually makes light dazzle as it passes through. It's a lot like us when we become disciples. That's what discipleship is like when Jesus becomes our Lord and Savior. We allow the light of Jesus to shine on us. We invite the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin. You know, it's first it's the big burly stuff. It's the stuff that we see and everybody sees, that everybody knows about. And, and then he begins to chip away on the littler things, the, the sins that maybe aren't as evident that we're able to hide or keep quiet. And he chips away like that diamond cutter working on the pieces of the stone that only prevent the beauty that is within from coming out. And he chips away and chips away and chips away eventually under the heat and pressure of life in this world under ridicule and scorn of being a Christian through the dark days of night and nights of having to stare in the mirror and deal with our own sin, God begins to reveal the light of Jesus, His Son in us. When we welcome the Holy Spirit to begin the work of cleaning us up, when we invite the light of Jesus to to shine on the darkness of our sin, and when we choose to make Jesus our Lord, and our Savior, our journey of discipleship begins, and bit by bit, we begin to think like and speak like and act like and love like Jesus. And as a Christian, we're called to do that. We're called to be a disciple. We're called to put ourselves under that microscope of the Holy Spirit. We're called to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to work in us and chip away at the stuff that we try to keep covered. That the light of Jesus shines on us so that we can look more like Jesus. But you don't have to. You don't have to do that. You can claim the title of, Jesus, of a Christian as a believer in Jesus. And you can come to church once in a while and you can say, I've got my ticket punched, I'm going to heaven. But what God really wants is for you to submit your lives to Jesus to make Him Lord and to become a disciple. That's why we're going through this stuff. That's why we're talking about the difficult things. Being a disciple isn't an easy process. But at the end of it, what's waiting is the person that God created you to be. When the Holy Spirit chips off all the darkness and the junk of the world, and the light of Jesus is able to shine through you to someone else who's lost, You don't have to become a disciple, but I really, really want to encourage you to. We're going to talk just before we're done today about what's the first step you can take to do that. But let's pray. God, there's nothing about the world around us that's covered in darkness that encourages us to be a disciple of Jesus. At most, it says that going to church is a little bit radical. Most people in an awful lot of churches would say that just simply gathering here on a Sunday is enough. But God, you know that it isn't about duty or obligation. It's about opportunity and privilege. It's about the opportunity that we have and the privilege that you give us to be sons and daughters of yours. To be filled with your Holy Spirit, to have the light of Jesus shine in us and through us. And some of us won't accept that. But some of us will. And God, what I ask is that Your Holy Spirit begins to work on us. Moves in our hearts, moves in our minds. That we realize that we are not, we know that we're not all that we can be in You. That we're not even who You created us to be yet. God, as we take this journey of discipleship and we we take baby steps that lead to larger steps, God, give us courage to look in the mirror and really see who we are. Give us strength to stand in the world and give us the light of Jesus to walk through the darkness that surrounds us. Give us a heart that wants to grow in faith and serve Jesus as our Lord. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. You might be wondering, what do I do if if I'm willing to start taking the step of being a disciple? What is the first thing that I do? I'll tell you, it's as simple as this. Grab your Bible and start to read. doesn't matter what part of it. Just start to read. And, and then ask God to help show you what it is that He's saying and what's going on. And then find somebody who knows it better than you and say, help me understand it more. Can, can you explain why this says this and why that says that? Will you help me understand what's going on here a little bit more I want to grow? That, that is the beginning of discipleship. And every one of us can do that. Every one of us should do that. To grow every one of us needs to do that. So you walk out of here today, what do you do? You begin reading your Bible every day if you don't. And then just find somebody out there who can help you understand a little bit more of what it says. That is the beginning of discipleship.